Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Kings Avenue Baptist Church. We're so excited that you're worshiping with us today. Hope you're enjoying our new series on But God and that God is speaking to you at this time. Uh, We miss you very much as we continue to be in virtual services, uh, but we're looking forward to being uh, back together again soon. During this time, I really encourage you to find ways to connect with one another, with your family, your friends, whether it's FaceTime, Zoom calls, uh, whatever it might be, find ways to make sure that you're still fostering that connection. We can't let our, our separation create distance relationally, and that's, that's true in our personal relationships and also true equally as important, more important in our relationship with God. We can't let this time where we are creating or, or having to practice social distancing to create spiritual distance from the Lord. Use this time rather to focus on your walk with Him and let Him speak to you. And it's my prayer that He's speaking to you in this series and that you've been encouraged uh, in our first sermon when we talked about the fact that God is not done with you yet. And then last week we talked about the importance of, of the fact that God remembers us. Remember we said that God remembers us in our condition no matter how dire. We started off talking about Noah and we learned just by studying Noah that we are not alone in our circumstance and that God sees us where we are. And certainly for, the, for Noah, we saw that God caused the suffering. He caused the flood. But then he called Noah to go through the flood. He equipped Noah in the flood, and then he remembered that Noah was there. He remembered the promise that he had made to Noah and delivered him from that. We know that God remembers us in our sinful condition and that he sent his son to set us free. And unlike the Israelites, and certainly unlike in our past, we can't just be longing for that time of being enslaved to sin. Rather, we need to cry out to God and trust that he will see us in that place and remember us there and he, because he's already delivered us through the sacrifice of Jesus. We also know that God remembers us, but because of what Jesus did, he remembers our sin no more. And what an awesome promise and and, an awesome hope that we have that because of what Jesus did that he uh, went into the throne room of God God remembers what Jesus did and not our sin anymore we also talked about the fact that Jesus bore us on his on his shoulders and over his heart as he went into God's presence on our behalf and it was because of this action, because he went in before God, that God remembers us, but not our sin no more. We know that we, he loves us that much and that Jesus went there once for all time and for all people to secure our eternal redemption. This is the promise of being remembered by God. And we closed last week by just celebrating communion and, and celebrating God's remembrance of us by remembering what he has done for us. And we talked about that scripture in 1 Corinthians that says that when we take communion, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. And we must do that not just by taking the Lord's table, but by proclaiming it in our actions and our deeds and our words and sharing it with everyone around us. We must remember what God has done. Now, I I understand and will admit that sometimes it's easier to remember and celebrate those things that God has done for us in the good times. But in the hard times, it's hard to celebrate when we can't even see the good things because our circumstances are are weighing us down or they're putting blinders on and we can't see all of the goodness or all that God 
is doing for us. And I just want you to be encouraged today as we dive into today's message about the, the fact that God intended good. The world might intend bad, but God intends good for you. Let's just give this time to the Lord in prayer. Let's open this service and this message by surrendering to God and asking him to just make us aware of his intentions toward us. Let us not be distracted by what's happening in the world Let us not be distracted by the pain or the suffering that we may be experiencing personally. But let us hear God. Let us us just be sensitive to his spirit so we can understand and recognize his good intentions toward us. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you do love us, that your intentions toward us are good. Lord, we take this moment and we surrender our distractions. We surrender our pain, our circumstance, our suffering. God, anything that might be just a burden or that might be creating stress or frustration or friction, God, we lay it down and we ask that you speak to us clearly through your word. We ask that you open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the truth of your love. Let us be impacted by the fact that you have good intentions toward us, that everything you do toward us is for our benefit, Lord God, to draw us to you. Father, right now, just prepare our hearts to receive from you, Lord, and let, it, let there be a harvest, an eternal harvest from the word that you deliver in this time, and we thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, to help illustrate uh, this point that God has good intentions toward us, I want to start by just sharing a story from uh, Genesis with you, the story of Joseph. Not Jesus' earthly father, rather Joseph from the Old Testament, one of Jacob's or Israel's sons. Now, Israel had 12 sons, and Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph was the 11th of those 12 sons. He was the favorite because he was the first son of uh, of Rebecca, and it was such an important story that we see here. Jacob he showed favor to Joseph, and he gave him a coat of many colors. Everyone knew that Joseph was Jacob's favorite, even Joseph's brothers. And, and honestly, even God had, he showed his favor on Joseph, and he gave him dreams. And in these dreams, it said, you know, he saw that he would be elevated to a place that was above his brothers, and even elevated to a place that was above his parents. And he actually shared that information with his family. And that made them, you know, a little bit upset. His brother's even more jealous. And to the point where one day they see him coming from a distance and they kind of just talk amongst themselves and they actually make a, a, a plan to kill him and then tell their father that a wild animal had mauled him. And one of Joseph's older brothers, Reuben, he steps in. He says, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's, let's just you know, throw him in this cistern and then we can sell him to, you know, we could sell him and then, uh, to, to be a slave. And then you know, we could still tell our father that he was mauled, but at least he, he won't die. You see, it was Reuben's plan to, to do this and throw him in the cistern, but then go and rescue Joseph. But before he could go rescue Joseph, his brothers had already sold him into slavery into Egypt. Well, Joseph, he gets to Egypt and he, became, he becomes the servant of a man named Potiphar. And he continues to flourish here. He actually does so well that he becomes second in command in the house only to Potiphar. All of Potiphar's servants, everything, reports into Joseph. Now, Potiphar's wife, she looks at Joseph with, uh, with lust in her eyes and she wants, uh, she wants to seduce him, but he rejects her. He runs out of the house, but he leaves his coat behind, and because she is angry at being rejected, she tells her husband Potiphar that Joseph tried to rape her. Well, Potiphar, this, this makes Potiphar very angry, and so he has Joseph arrested, and he's thrown in to prison. 
But even in prison, he continues to flourish. He, get, he gains leadership and influence there. And he's over you know, certain sections of the prison. And then finally, uh, one day, a couple of his cellmates, they have some dreams. And they couldn't figure out what the dreams mean. And so they go to Joseph and God gives Joseph the interpretations and they come true. And even though they had promised you know, to Joseph, oh, we're going to remember you, they forgot. And after three years, finally, the cupbearer, uh, he is in the, you know, the, the, the Pharaoh's presence, and Pharaoh has had a dream. And none of his uh, you know, soothsayers, none of his wise men could interpret the dream. And he says, oh, someone needs to be able to interpret the dream. And finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, and he says, oh, well, there's this guy in prison. I had a dream. The baker had a dream. They came true, uh, and I, I forgot about Joseph, but he can come, and his God will you know, speak through him to you and interpret the dream. Well, Joseph comes and he interprets the dream and he talks about how there's going to be a time of plenty ahead of a time of famine. And because God uses Joseph, Pharaoh places him in in charge of all of uh, the nation basically during this time and to collect and then collect during the time of plenty and then to distribute during the time of famine. Well, that famine is so severe that it affects Egypt and the surrounding nations and eventually Joseph's family. And his brothers come to collect food and there's this interaction a couple times as they, they go. He sends them home one time and they come back for more and finally Joseph reveals who he is and his family comes to settle in Egypt. But then Joseph's father dies and his brothers are worried about Joseph's reaction. His brothers are worried that he would now take this opportunity to exact revenge on them. And so we see this passage in Genesis chapter 50 and it really helps us to understand a little bit more about this, but God has good intentions. So we're going to start in verse 16 of Genesis 50. It says, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So what we see in this but God is, you know, Joseph's brothers had evil intentions toward him. Originally, they wanted to kill him, but they settled on just selling, selling him in to slavery. And Joseph says, you had evil intentions for me, but God intended that action not only for his good. He says God had that intention for my good and he had that intention uh, for good for the people of Egypt, for the people of the surrounding nations, even for his own family. The, The intentions that God had were good even for Joseph's brothers. And so when we look at this, what we, the, the message that we have is that the world may intend things for our destruction, but God intends them for our good. Our circumstance might feel like it is out to just set us back, to be for our detriment. But God says that he sets these things up for our benefit. And it's so important that we experience those things and we acknowledge those things. First, I want to kind of just talk about the fact that oftentimes uh, that the experiences that we go through, they're a consequence of sin, they're punishment that, that we are receiving. And you might wonder, what's the benefit in that? Well, Maybe you had a father like I did. 
You know, when I was a kid and and I misbehaved, which I'm sure you will believe did not happen very often, but when I was a kid and I misbehaved, my dad would always come to me and say, John, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And while the, the truth in that statement is questionable, the next thing that he would always say, I always knew was true, is that, is that the discipline was for my own good. The discipline was for my benefit. You see, what we need to realize is that while discipline may be painful, it shapes us into who God wants us to be. That discipline that I received as a boy shaped me into the man that I am today. It it taught me how I needed to act, how I needed to live. And the same is true with God's discipline. His discipline shapes us into what he wants us to be. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 3. God says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. When we look at this, we see that it's out of that place of love that God disciplines. It's out of that place of love that God corrects us. And so we must be zealous and respond to that love. We must be zealous and respond to that discipline by repenting, by confessing that sin and turning away from it. In Hebrews, it says this as well. It says, besides this, listen, it says, besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our, for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So notice what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Notice how that passage starts off. It says that we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us. And what was our response? Our response was that we recognize that that discipline was for our benefit. We recognize that that discipline was for our good, that it shaped us, that it provided the boundary that we needed. It was giving us the direction that we uh, were, were, were lacking And so we responded with respect. We respected our earthly fathers for that discipline. We even honored them. So if that's the case, why would we not expect that a God who loves us so much more than our earthly fathers do, when he disciplines us, that that discipline is not motivated out of wrath. That discipline is not motivated out of, out, of, out of a just desire to punish. Rather, that discipline is given from a love that is greater than any other love that we have ever experienced. You know, when we understand this, what we need to recognize is that even though our circumstances may be bad, they, and they may be a result of God's discipline, that that discipline always results in our benefit. It was intended for our good. And so it says that we can share in his holiness. And even though that discipline is unpleasant, it is always going to yield that peaceful fruit of righteousness. So think about that for a minute, that discipline brings peace. You see, discipline is not meant to disrupt the soul. It is rather meant to settle our souls. And that the the result of the discipline is that it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Our discipline brings us to a place of peace. Do we often respond in, in, in recognizing the peace that discipline should bring? No, we resist it. We push back. We, um, we get angry with God even. And that's not how we need to act. We need to understand that the boundaries that that God is putting there for us, that he is creating for us, are meant for our benefit. 
You know, there was a, a study that was done about with some children, and they placed children in an open field. There were no fences, no boundaries, nothing, just a, a, a set of playground equipment in the middle of the field. And they told the children to go play. And they watched and observed. And because there was no fence, there were no boundaries around them, they stayed really close to the center around the playground equipment. Well, they took some other children and in the same size field, they, except this time they just put a fence around uh, you know, where they would want to, the children uh, to play. They set boundaries there, same set of playground equipment, and they set the children, they said, go play. And the children used every inch of the field. They, they went all the way to the fence because the boundary was there. It let them know where they were safe. It gave them the direction. They, they knew where they needed to go. They knew where they couldn't go. They knew what they needed to do. They knew what they shouldn't do. And the same is true when God disciplines us. You see, he gives us the boundaries to show us where we need to go, how we need to act, the actions and words that we need to do and say. We must realize that that discipline is meant to bring us to a place of peace. The boundaries that God gives us produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And we must walk in that. That is the purpose behind God's discipline. We must welcome it when he gives it to us. But what happens if we're not experiencing discipline? Because I understand, listen, you may not be in that place where God is disciplining you. Maybe you are. But maybe you're not. So how do we respond? How do we know that God has good intentions toward us, even in that place where we are not receiving his discipline? Well, I want to walk you through some scripture that helps us to understand that. First, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, when we see in this passage, it tells us that we cannot see We cannot hear, we can't even imagine what God has prepared for us when we love him. When we are his children, there's nothing that we could comprehend that demonstrates or captures the magnitude of blessing and grace and love that he has for us. And if we can't imagine that, if we can't, you know, just uh, grasp that, that, that blessing that he has for us in a time when we are not suffering, how much harder is it going to be to understand it and grasp it when we are suffering. You know, these words, they demonstrate God's glory and his great love for us, that he has prepared blessings and mercies that we could never comprehend. I find it very humbling to know that God loves me so much in a way that he wants to pour out from heaven in a way that I could never even imagine or comprehend. And yet he is prepared to do that. That tells me that his intentions toward me are good. We're also familiar with that passage from Romans chapter 8, where it says, and we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a a wonderful promise that we often will refer back to. But what does it mean? That we are God's children. That in those places, that if we are God's children and we are called according to his purpose, then God will work all things to our benefit. Well, how do we know that? What do we do? How can we walk in that hope? Often people will ask the question, why do the righteous suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I just want to talk with you today about some of that because I can honestly think of a few people that right now, this moment, are going through difficult circumstances that they don't deserve, challenging situations that you, know, you look at from the outside and you say, well, that person is a good person. That person loves the Lord. Why are they experiencing so many challenges? Why, is, why does their circumstance seem to just be continuing to be piled on in so many burdens? 
Well, I hope that as we go through these, these next few points that you find the answer because, and, and not just for yourself, but for others, because listen, I know that the devil will use the suffering of others to attack our own faith. He uses it to attack their faith, but he uses it to attack our faith because we look and we question. And the answers to these questions are only found in scripture. So let's, let's dive in. I think one reason why we experience suffering or difficulty is because God wants us to produce fruit. He is pruning us. He, it may not be formal discipline, but it's part of the sanctification process. And, and that means that it's part of the process where God is cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So he's going to use our suffering to cleanse us from those things inside of us that don't align with him. Now listen, at the moment of our salvation, Jesus' blood washed away all of our sin. But I have a question for you. How many of you have sinned since that moment? All of us, every single one of us have sinned from the, since the moment that we have been saved, at least one time. And when you think about that, that place of sin, it comes there because inside of us, we still have the sin nature. So it's not because Christ's blood was, wasn't powerful enough, rather his blood washed away the sin, but it's from that moment of salvation until we see Christ face to face that God spends that lifetime, he spends that time remaking us into his image by taking the sin nature out of us and transforming us and replacing that nature with his nature. And so often he will use these difficult circumstances. He will use pain, he will use suffering, he will use challenges. All of that because it's during those times that the things inside of us that don't reflect the Lord, they tend to rise to the surface. He uses these difficult experiences. He uses the burdens that we carry to teach us about the things. He says, you know what? That doesn't reflect me. That doesn't honor me. That doesn't look like me. That doesn't sound like me. And I want it out. He uses these challenging uh, circumstances to prune us and to shape us into what he wants us to be. Listen to what it says in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus, he is speaking here in John 15 on the night of his arrest. And he tells his disciples that he is the vine His father is the vine dresser or the gardener, and we are the branches. He says that every branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off. But listen, he also promises that every branch that does bear fruit, what what will happen to that branch? It will be pruned. And the purpose behind that pruning is so that we will be more fruitful, so that there would be more fruit that is produced. That means that he will prune those who are joyful so that they will be able to demonstrate more joy. That he will cut things away from the, thing, from the people that are loving, so that they can be more loving. That he will try the patience of the patient, so that they can be more patient. That he will cause trouble for the people that are peaceful, so that they can walk in more peace. That he will ch- challenge the people that are kind, so that they can demonstrate his kindness even more. You see these experiences, they prune us so that we can be more fruitful and we can just demonstrate more of his character and nature to the people around us. And it says that that will produce that fruit of righteousness. He will prune the righteous so we can show more righteousness. It's so important. That pruning is never pleasant. Listen, the pruning is never pleasant, but it is always, always, always purposeful. It's meant to shape us into what God wants us to be. It's meant to shape us into his character, into his nature, 
so that when the people around us, when they look at us, they don't see us. They see him. They see his spirit. They see his son. And that they will be able to glorify him and that he will be glorified even more. We see this reflected in Romans chapter 5. It says not only that, but when we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces uh, endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, when we recognize that our suffering produces fruit, it draws us closer to God. When we understand that that suffering produces endurance and endurance uh, character and that character hope, and then that hope we know does not put us to shame because we have the promise of God, that love that he has poured into us through his Holy Spirit. We know that we are secure in that place, in the place of pruning, because he is with us. Another answer to the the question of why the righteous suffer is oftentimes God uses our suffering to teach us to be dependent on him. We find this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says this, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That last part should feel uh, familiar as you study the temptation of Christ. But it comes from this passage in Deuteronomy. You see, uh, the Lord, he is telling the people through Moses that they had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And finally, when they cry out to God, God sends Moses to them. There are 10 plagues, and and eventually 2 million Jews, they, they walk out of Egypt free people. And then in the wilderness, you might think, you might think that they have learned to be dependent on God. They get to the Red Sea, and he protects them. He shields them from the army that is coming against them with a pillar of fire while the Red Sea is being opened and two million people are walking through. They get through the Red Sea, and finally the waters crash down, killing the, the Pharaoh's army. And you might think after all of this, they would still be, they would recognize and be dependent on God. But they weren't. You see, in, in, in the wilderness, they were grumbling against God. They were grumbling against him. And so God, through Moses, he says, listen, I led you out of Egypt. I, I, I caused you to hunger. I made you humble. I made you in this condition so that you would be dependent on me. What that teaches me is that God will use our suffering to show us how much we need him. But what does he say? He said, listen, I brought you into the wilderness And I caused you to hunger so that you would be humble. And then what did God do? He met the need. He met the need. He created the suffering and then saw them in that suffering and then met the need. He used that condition, that circumstance, to teach the people that they should be dependent on him. And then he met that need for them. That lesson is so true for us and we need to watch for that lesson ourselves. That God might be trying to teach you right now to be dependent on him. He might be teaching you to stop leaning on your own strength, to stop leaning on your own understanding, to quit looking back and longing for your old life, because that's what the, slave, that's what the uh, Israelites were doing. They were looking back and saying they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to that life of slavery. And God says, how can you do this? You should be dependent on me. Look at all that I have done 
for you. He is our ultimate source above anything that this world could ever offer. I want to just kind of just bring something else to your uh, kind of attention right now. I want to encourage you because you may not see a way out of your circumstance right now. And that's because we have finite minds. But I want, I want to just point something out from that previous scripture. Notice we, it said that God created the hunger. He says, I sent you into the wilderness and I made you hunger. And then what did he do? He says, I fed you with manna that neither you knew nor your fathers knew. So what that tells me is that this, this blessing that God provided was beyond the imagination of the people. And so when we completely depend on God, he will meet our needs in ways that we have never imagined. So it's all about trusting him. It's not trusting our own understanding. It's not looking at our circumstance and trying to figure a way out and then telling God, hey, this is how you need to lead me out of this. No, rather it's looking at our circumstance, realizing that we are completely, totally, utterly dependent on God and then letting him deliver us in however way he sees fit. This is the message for us in that place, that we need to be completely dependent on the Lord. Next, I want to talk about another answer that's pretty straightforward. And honestly, uh, when we think about it, it, it makes sense that sometimes we experience suffering, we experience difficulty, so that God can be glorified when that situation is resolved. We go to John chapter 9 and we see this. It says this, uh, as he passed by, he saw a man, this is, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, the people, his disciples thought, well, this guy was born blind because he sinned or his family sinned. But Jesus says, no, it wasn't because of sin. It's not because of punishment. Rather, he was, he was born this way so that God would be glorified when he is healed. And let me tell you, boy, was he. I mean, when, when Jesus healed the man because he, he went over and he spit in some mud and he wiped it on the guy's eyes and he saw. He was born blind and he was now able to see. The people in the community, it, it created such an incredible stir. People were questioning whether he was ever blind to begin with. The Pharisees especially, they really opposed this situation. They questioned the man. They questioned his family. They questioned Jesus' authority. They said Jesus was operating with demonic power. They thought that he might have been a sinner. And then the man, while he's uh, in front of the Pharisees, he says this to them. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. You see, this is, this is why. This man, he was born blind, but when he was healed, it was so that God would be glorified. And, and this is what the man is doing. He is glorifying God. He says, I once was blind, but now I see. The Pharisees, they would not relent, and they called in to question like Jesus' authority and like how he could do this. They questioned the man's parents, and finally, the man, he says this to them in verses 30 through 33. He says, uh, why, why is this an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So we see that all of this happened because the man was born blind. 
And this man was born blind, so all of this could happen. It was so that God could be glorified. It was so that this man could stand before the religious leaders and say, how can you not believe that, that Jesus is God? How can you not recognize where he comes from? How could you not understand the power and authority that he operates under? It was because God was going to glorify himself in this man's healing. And you might say, well, why would God allow that to happen Listen, this man, he didn't question that. You know what he did? He glorified God. He worshiped him because of the deliverance that he was experiencing. And for us, what that tells me is that when we experience pain, rather than wallowing in our condition, let us seek out our Savior and let us anticipate the deliverance and salvation that he offers. And then when it comes, let us glorify him for meeting us where we are. Let us understand and celebrate the fact that God, his intentions toward us are good and they always will be good. In order to do this, in order to give God the glory no matter what, what we have to understand is that the pain was there to confirm the validity of our faith. The simple truth is that gold is not refined without fire and neither are we. Oftentimes we experience these difficult times to refine us. It's another kind of pruning. And and Peter talked about this. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through its, though it's, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There are a couple of important points that we need to talk about here. It says that, you know, in a little while, we, or for a little while, we experienced grief in various trials. And that the purpose of those trials was to prove the genuineness of our faith. Let's have hope that Peter talks about that it was a little while that we experienced those difficulties, that those circumstances and suffering, when you compare the time that we are in those difficulties to the eternity that we will be with God, yes, the suffering that we experience at any time on earth is just a little while, and it's there to prove the genuineness of our faith so that we can glorify the Lord, that suffering will be temporary. I love what it said after that. It says that that faith that that makes it through the fire is more precious than gold. And it results not just in, and not in our glorification, not in, not in, you know, us receiving the glory, but in God. Because when the people around us, when they see us go through that kind of suffering, when they see us refined by the fire, they might be drawn by our experience, but they are not drawn to us. They are drawn to God. I want to share just a couple personal experiences and, and not not to pat myself on the back. Rather, I just, I want you to know that God still operates this way. And I want you to know that there is purpose behind your pain because I have experienced it personally. I shared with you last week about just my my children and the blessing that I have. And I'm blessed to have four children. And, um, you know, Marley, I told you, uh, I've told you before how when she was three days old and we brought her home from the hospital just hours after that, Melanie was performing CPR on her, and I was out in our driveway waiting for an ambulance in the middle of the night. 
Uh, God performed a miracle in Marley's life, and she's going to be turning nine here in a few weeks. And with our twins, we were hoping for uh, really a less eventful experience. We were hoping that God would, would not, you know, uh, have those challenges ahead of us. But God had a different plan. You know, when we found out that we were pregnant, we had, again, you know, just been struggling to have, uh, to grow our family even more and, you know, had gone back to our fertility specialist. And finally, when we found out we were pregnant early on in Melanie's pregnancy, uh, before even our first doctor's appointment, we didn't know that we were pregnant with twins. We only knew that Melanie was pregnant. Our our first appointment where we were going to have a sonogram and confirm everything was still a few days away. Well, in the middle of the night, one night, Melanie wakes up with all of, the, all of the, the symptoms of a miscarriage. And our hearts are breaking, and you know we're praying through the night, and just praying that God would, would, would not allow this to happen. There's so much fear going through our minds and our hearts. And we woke up, and we hadn't even told our, our parents that you know, we were pregnant, but we now had to call and we told our moms and we just told them just what we, were, what we were going through and asked them to pray. And we called our doctor and he told him everything that was going on over the night. And he says, yes, it sounds like Melanie has had a miscarriage. Please just come into the doctor's office right now and we'll, we'll perform an exam and, and confirm everything and we'll figure out what to do next. And so we, we got dressed and, you know, just grieving the entire time and we drive to his office, and they, they take us in, and they take us straight to the back, so we didn't have to be around anyone else. We were alone, and still, you know, just in, in tears, and our stenographer comes in, and she is, uh, you know, someone that we have known, because we had gone to this same specialist when Marley was born, and so we've known this special lady for, you know, almost 10 years now, and, you know, she tells us what she is going to do, and I lean over just to hold Melanie while uh, she begins this exam. And, you know, while we are just crying in the middle of this exam, I look down and and this stenographer, she is smiling and laughing. And and she says, they're okay. They're okay. They're okay. And Melanie and I, we look at one another and we look at her and we say, what do you mean they? You see, we didn't know at that, uh, up until that point that Melanie was even pregnant with twins. And yet here we are, we were expecting to be experiencing, you know, some of the worst news that any parent could could have. And, you know, we're being told that, no, you didn't miscarry one, no, you're pregnant with two. And what a, what a change. And we are, of course, overjoyed in that. And we call our family and, and we're just celebrating. And we didn't really understand the purpose of that night and that fire until, honestly, until the girls were uh, over a year old. We were at Longhorn Restaurant one night and just sitting there having dinner with our, our family, with our four kids. And, you know, we'll often, when we're out to eat, uh, we would ask our, our, our waitress or our waiter, you know, if there was anything that we could pray for them about. And this, this young lady, she looks at us and she says, well, you know, I'm pregnant and uh, would appreciate prayers for a safe delivery and no more complications. And she begins to explain to us that she had a night exactly like the night that we had, that she had some challenges and she even, you know, calls out the condition that the doctor said that she had. And it was the very same condition that Melanie had. And so Melanie and I look at us and look at each other. And in that moment, we realize why we had to go through what we went through. You see, on that night, we didn't know 
that there, we would be sitting here in Longhorn speaking to this young woman and that she would have gone through the same thing that we, gone, that we went through. But we took that opportunity and Melanie, she spoke life and hope into the, uh, this young girl's life and she said, listen, I went through the exact same thing. I thought that I had lost my baby. I thought that this was the end and I was in despair and I was concerned. But I want you to know you can see the fruit of what God can do, that he is powerful, that he healed me, he healed my babies and, and, and everything was fine. We were able to speak life into her. You see that fire that we went through. It refined us. It, it increased our faith and it gave us the opportunity to glorify God and then share the truth of who he is with others. And honestly, that, that's not all that happened either because, you know, going back to hoping for a, a, an uneventful delivery, well, Melanie's pregnancy uh, with the twins was relatively uneventful after that. You know, for a twin pregnancy, the doctors were very pleased with how things progressed. Uh, but at the end, she began to struggle with some blood pressure and she was really retaining a lot of water and the doctors were concerned about some preeclampsia. And so they induced her and she went into labor and the girls were delivered uh, with, with really out, without any issues. Um, but it, it turns out at birth, Madeline had a little bit of fluid on her lungs and they put her in the NICU, but only for a few hours and she was fine. After a few days, though, Madeline, uh, excuse me, McKenna, she was not gaining weight, really, and she was having some challenges with her bilirubin levels. And this worried us because this is what ultimately uh, caused so much trouble for Marley. And so uh, the doctors were taking care of her, and they were able to treat her in the hospital. They hadn't discharged us yet, and so they were able to treat her, and she was doing fine. Well, during all of this time, Melanie had been discharged, but the girls were not because they were continuing to just monitor their progress. And it was so good that they let us stay in the hospital because while the girls were improving, Melanie was declining. Her heart rate was beginning to race and her blood pressure was beginning to rise again. And she was really experiencing uh, some, some extreme distress. And she had been discharged and the nurses there, they said, well, now you have to go to the ER. And so she went down to the ER while I stayed in the hospital room with the babies and she, Melanie was readmitted to the hospital. They let her go back to the same room, but then the next morning, what was just, again, one of the most terrifying moments of my life, they, they thought that Melanie was having a stroke. Her blood pressure spiked so high, and uh, she was feeling numbness in her face, and her vision was affected, and within seconds, 30 people, what felt like 30 people, were swarming our room, were just putting Melanie under a light and asking her questions, assessing her, and then they just whisk her away uh, to take a CT scan. And I, I'm, I'm rushing behind to try and keep up with them. Test after test, and really just not a lot of answers. And finally, a, a doctor comes, a neurologist comes and explains that, you know, through all of the tests, they found that Melanie had some scar tissue on her brain um, that really, you know, typically only comes after a blood clot had been there. And he's like, you're going to be fine. I'm not really sure what happened, but you're going to be fine. Well, we know what happened because in that moment where she was whisked away and even before that we were praying, many of you were praying for her at, at that time. And we know that she was healed. She has, she's recovered from everything that, that has happened then. And, and, and what's amazing, though, is during these nine days that we were at the hospital, Melanie uh, 
became friends, quick friends, with one of our nurses. There's some family connections, and she's a believer as well. And, uh, and when I tell you, like, just conversations at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning while we were in the hospital just talking. And before we left, the nurses, many nurses were coming in to just, you know, wish us well and give us hugs and tell us that, you know, that their thoughts were with us. But this nurse, she came in, and she's just, she said, thank you. And we looked at each other and looked at her and said, well, what, why are you thanking us? And she said, well, listen, because of what you have experienced and because you experienced that with peace, because of your testimony, my peers, my friends, my coworkers are asking me how you could do that. They were asking her how we could walk through the troubles and the trials and the fires that we had been going through through that whole week with the babies and then Melanie, with the peace that we had. They wanted to know, and and because she knew that we were believers, she was able, she said, thank you, because I was able to talk to my friends, I was able to talk to my coworkers about Jesus, to tell them about the difference that he makes, that everyone can have hope, that you can experience difficulty, you could be on the precipice of loss, you could be at the point of death and be at peace because of Christ. When we experience challenges, in the middle of the challenge, we may not see the purpose, but I want you to know that God's intention towards you is good. His heart towards you is good. There is purpose behind your pain. There is a reason for what you are experiencing. It may be so that someone else may be drawn to him. So walk with peace. Listen, God's intentions toward us, they are good. If it is discipline, Know that that discipline is done in love to bring us to a place of holiness so that we can share in his holiness and it would produce a peaceful fruit of righteousness. If the suffering or experience that you're going through is to prune you, it's because God wants you to be more fruitful. If it is to humble you, it's because God wants you to depend on him. If it's painful, it's because God wants you to go to him in anticipation of his salvation. And then when he delivers you, Give him the glory. Celebrate him. Celebrate what he has done, not just to yourself, but proclaim it to everyone. Let everyone know the goodness of your God. And then I want you to just remember this, that when we suffer, it is a testimony of Christ's suffering. He suffered infinitely more than any one of us could ever have suffered. He died so that we would experience eternal redemption in heaven with God. And so when we participate in that suffering, the Bible tells us that when we participate in Christ's suffering, we will participate in his glory. I'm going to pray, and just as I pray, maybe, maybe you have never been drawn to the Lord. Maybe you have never walked with him, and you're in the middle of your circumstance, and maybe you feel him drawing you now. There is no better time. Don't hesitate. Listen, I can't promise that it's going to be easy. We just talked about the fact that even as a child of God, we experience difficulty. Even as a child, we experience challenges. But in those challenges, as a child of God, we have hope because we know his intentions are good. Let's pray. Father, I come to you and I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your son. I thank you that your heart towards me is good that you love me, that the things that you allow in my life are to shape me to be more like you. 
God, for the times when you discipline me. Help me to receive that discipline, to respect it, Lord, to grow and, and let, let it just cut the things out of me that you are trying to cut out. When you are pruning me, help me to see that you are wanting me to be more fruitful, Lord. When you are humbling me, help me to be dependent on you. When I am in pain, help me to run to you in anticipation of my salvation. And when you deliver, Lord God, let me celebrate that deliverance, Lord. Because you've allowed me to suffer, God, even at a fraction of where you are so that I might share in all of your glory. Lord, if there is anyone here right now that doesn't know you, let them take this, this opportunity in this moment to surrender their lives to you. If that's you, just pray with me. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I know that I am a sinner. I know that you are drawing me to you. You are asking me, calling me to come home. Forgive me for everything I have done that that doesn't please you, that separates me from you. I know that you came to this earth, you died on the cross for my sins, and your blood washes those sins away. Come into my life, be Lord of my life, save me, God. Help me from now until we see each other face to face. Help me to be more like you. Help me to walk in your will. Show me what it means to be your child. Remake me into your image. God, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, God. Help me, Lord, to be a student, a study, a a, a disciple, Father, following after you in everything. I thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. For those that have already prayed that prayer, but find yourself in a place of suffering and you're wondering or have been wondering the purpose, surrender to God right now. Lord, I give my circumstance to you. I give my pain to you. I come to you. I anticipate your deliverance, Lord. I depend on you. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I'm not looking to my own strength, to my own knowledge, to my own plan. God, I give it all to you, Lord. And I just, I surrender. I worship you, God. I am here. I am your servant. Lord, do with me as you please, God. Let me experience what you want me to experience so that I might be more like you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you have been blessed by God's word today and that you go, uh, just continue on in your life in difficulty or in blessing, giving God the glory for everything because his intentions towards you are always good. God bless.